the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, and reading verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And my subject for this morning's message is the blueprint for life, the blueprint for our lives. And what a tragedy. Most people, countless people in this society, in this age in which we live, have no moral and spiritual foundation for their lives. They don't think these things are important. And they totally discard and reject the idea that, well, there is a creator. Or if there is a creator, uh, and the fact that we owe him our worship, well, they... They are so vague. Their belief is so vague on these matters. Millions give no heed. Countless millions give no heed to Christ's teaching on heaven and how we can be made right with God and our need of salvation. And yet, without this, there is no foundation in this life and there is no foundation for eternal life, for everlasting life. So Christ likens his words to a solid foundation for life. This is what we this is really the fundamental teaching in this in this verse. It's spiritual. This these are spiritual lessons. The this is a wonderful parable, and there are other parables in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospels. And parables, the function of parables is to teach us the way of salvation. The doctrines concerning how we can be made right with God. And this is no exception here in this chapter. Our lives must be built upon the rock. Christ Christ Jesus, and not only what he taught, but he himself is our only hope for for his blessing, for his forgiveness in this life and and in the next. Any attempt to build our lives upon anything else will prove catastrophic and disastrous in this life and in the next. Well, these, uh, I'm sure you know that this is the very well known, well, not nowadays, but it was very well known. Throughout uh, history, the famous Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus Christ's discourse on that hill or that mountain, uh, grassy mountain or hill, and the crowds, there were vast crowds of people listening to Christ, teaching these things. They were unfamiliar with these teachings. They did not, the, their religious leaders didn't teach these things, and so they were transfixed, and they were amazed at these wonderful teachings of Christ. It was Somewhere in the vicinity, probably in Capernaum, in the Galilean region. And the crowds understood this illustration of Christ. They, they really connected with it because, and this is why Christ spoke uh, such parables, especially in that culture, speaking about these two houses and one being built on the sand and one being built on a solid foundation. People understood and they appreciated the picture because... I'm sure you know in those days, many many families built their own houses, built their own homesteads. So they immediately understood what the Lord was talking about. Maybe not, some of them may have not understood what the spiritual significance of what he was saying, but many of them appreciated what he was talking about concerning the building and the logic, the logic and, and how obvious it was to build your house with a foundation first. 
So, because a substantial amount of work and planning needed to go in to building a house, of, of course today even more so. But for families and uh, the man wanting to uh, build a homestead for his family, a lot of work and a lot of planning needed to go into this. Suitable location, a place where they could, where they knew there was a solid foundation under the earth, so they needed to do uh, a lot of planning in that respect. And then there was the very strenuous and difficult task of digging down to the foundation, down to this solid foundation, this rock, digging out all the debris and the weeds and the loose stones. And once this was cleared, then, only then, once this was cleared and everything was, and, and it was dug deep and cleared and exposed and the foundation was exposed, this rock, it's only then that the building of the house could, could commence. There was a great deal of effort and toil that went into this. And this was obvious to the people. the people. The people in that culture, they didn't need these things drilled into them because they knew it was so obvious. Who doesn't know this? That if you build a house, of course you must find a place where there is a solid foundation and of course you must dig. Of course you must do these things. These, these are the ABCs of, of what you must do in life, where, especially when you're building a house. But Christ, of course, was speaking, telling them this picture because it had spiritual significance, because he was teaching that this is what we need to do for the soul. This is what we need to do in our lives as those who are made in the image of God. This was a picture. Your life, your life, your moral, your, your standing before God, it needs a foundation. And, his, and this foundation would be everything that he taught. And not just his words, but his words which he inspired, well, he, by his spirit, by the spirit of God, the whole scriptures and he said to his disciples that when I'm gone you may not understand these things now but when the spirit of truth comes he will make these things known to you and so Christ by his spirit when the spirit of God inspired the apostles to write uh, 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 teachings and the, and, and the whole revelation of God well this is what is meant here also not just the teachings in his time but how he would inspire his apostles and his servants in the way of salvation the way of salvation so uh, this is what we see in these verses. Verse 24 again. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to, unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. There's spiritual lesson here. There's spiritual significance in, this, in these pictures. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Luke's account is interesting. It mentions something that Matthew does not mention. And I just draw your attention to this in Luke chapter 6, verse 48. Uh, Christ says the following, or Luke records this that Matthew omits. No contradiction. It actually verifies the authenticity of Scripture when we see things like this. They, they weren't copyists copying each other. Luke chapter 6, verse 48. He, this is the Wise man, he is like a man which built an house. Those who listen and take to heart the teachings of Christ. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep. Matthew doesn't mention that. So Luke tells us that this, this person building a house, he had to dig very deep and lay the foundation upon a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, 
and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. So what is meant here in spiritual terms of digging? When you build a constructor house, we, that's something we don't have to give much thought to nowadays, but in those days they certainly had to bear all these things in mind and it was obvious to them. Uh, location and the need to dig deep, however deep the, the rock was beneath the surface, they had to reach it. They couldn't just lay a foundation close to the foundation. No, it needed to be on the foundation. They needed to dig, dig, dig deep. But what does this mean spiritually for us? Well, it means this. It means the following. I may be someone who's been going to church for many years. I may, I may be someone who has a belief in God and believes that the Bible is true and believes that Jesus Christ is the Savior. But I've never made it personal. I've never actually felt my need of forgiveness. It's never, it's never penetrated that deep. And so when I start to dig, a, dig deep and try to reach the foundation this really is speaking about, I begin to take uh, the warnings of conscience seriously. I start to lay these things to heart. I start to consider what will happen when I die. And am, is, am I right with my God? I no longer rely upon the excuses I've, I've had lifelong. And I no longer rely upon my assumptions that, uh, well, if I, the fact that I go to church, the fact that I... I believe I'm a good person, I always pay my bills on time, and I'm, I'm a law-abiding citizen, and I recycle my rubbish, and all kinds of things we think about, and, and I give to charity, and I believe in God, and the long list of things, and we tick all the boxes and we think, well, I, I, I believe that when God, I believe that I'm fit for God, but this is like weeds and debris, and we must clear these things away, and we must dig deep, and we must do some soul-searching, and consider where I stand, and, and my need of Jesus Christ. And I must think about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? Do I just go to church out of habit? And even if I don't go to church out of habit, I may be here for the, for the first time. Have you given thought, friend, to the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Is it just having fun on the weekend, socializing with friends? That's no foundation. You must dig through the debris. And you must listen to, con listen to conscience that there is a day when I will die. And I, when I start to think about these things and when I do take the uh, conscience seriously and I'm troubled by these things, I start to investigate the claims of the scripture, what the scripture actually teaches about these things. And I realize that none of my good works, none of my, uh, all, my all the things that I believe which commend myself to God, I begin to realize this is debris. This, these are weeds and stones compared to what God requires of me. I cannot reach God's standards. I'm a wretched, lost, and needy sinner. All my church attendance, all my good points, and yes, we are capable of doing good things, and we are capable of kindness and love and things of this kind, but the Bible clearly teaches from cover to cover that we are fallen. And every department of our nature is contaminated with sin. And so God cannot receive us in our state and condition. And he has revealed a way of salvation. And the more I think about this, and the more I listen to conscience, and I'm honest with myself, I realize that my evaluation of my life and my standing with God thus far has been very superficial. A very superficial valuation. 
about life. I've never been troubled about my sin. I've never been fearful that one day I will be condemned by my God. I may have come to church and I may have gone through the motions of being in a Christian community, but when it comes to that soul-searching and that relationship with Christ, well, these ideas are foreign to me. I don't know the Savior personally. God has never changed my heart. I'm not moved by the things that I read in the scriptures. I do so out of habit. Well, this certainly used to be me before I was a Christian, believing I was a Christian, but God in his mercy was compassionate, and he did trouble my conscience, and I started digging, but this is what we must do if we are to know what it is to have God's forgiveness and his salvation. I realize that he's holy and he cannot accept me in my current condition full of sin. And I understand for the first time, this is why Jesus Christ had to come. Of necessity, he had to come and suffer and die and be condemned in my place. When he was suffering and bleeding on that cross, he was suffering for my lies. He was suffering for my lusts. He was suffering for my years of ingratitude and indifference toward my Creator. We, as God's people, we as God's creation, we owe him everything. We owe him our worship, we owe him our gratitude, we owe him our love. And in our natural state, we don't give him anything. And when I do that digging, and I listen to conscience, and I realize that I'm far away from my God, I'm deeply troubled about these things. But then, but then that trouble doesn't last, as I realize that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was for me. He was made sin for me. And my guilt at initially... If the process of seeking the Lord, it can be very painful and the guilt can almost be unbearable. This is why Christ says in Matthew chapter 11, reading from verse 28, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Heavy laden with guilt, a burden of guilt. Lord, I can, can no longer take this. If you've never felt that way, friend, if you've never been burdened with guilt, longing for forgiveness, you're probably not a Christian. This is what the Bible teaches. But when I feel like this, I understand Christ suffered my hell on that cross so that I don't have to go there. When he uttered those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, that was for me. And, oh, Lord, I respond to that prayer on the cross, and I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And when he suffered and died on that cross, it was, it was for me. I respond to the call, and when I do so sincerely, God hears my prayer, and he changes me. He makes me a brand new person in Christ, just as the Apostle Paul experienced. If any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I have spiritual faculties. I now pray to God and I know that he hears my prayers. And he is very much involved in my life. And he guides me through his word. I know his many comforts and blessings throughout life. He guides me all the way to heaven. This is what is meant here when Christ speaks about the solid foundation for those who come to him, for those who take heed to his words. This is the practical, practical implications. You must come to Christ. He must be your savior. He must be your master. You must have that personal walk with him. He needs to wash away all your sins and make you a new person. All this is summarized in this picture. Hearing, taking heed of the, wor the, the, the words of Christ. And when the storms of life do come, and there are many storms of life, financial struggles, health problems, and one thing after another which can vex us. But 
If my house is founded upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, the house of my soul, then God will keep me. He will sustain me, even though I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death in this life. God will not, never leave me nor forsake me. He will give me joy and peace in believing. I'll be greatly comforted that no matter what happens in this life, I will soon see my Savior face to face. Face to face. These things will give me mighty consolation and comfort. The many promises God has bound up in his word for his, for his people. He guides me. He answers my prayers in wonderful ways. And his promises are so numerous. And now I see them fulfilled in my life. This is the, this is the portion of those who love the Lord, who put their hope and trust in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as his child, I'll know peace even in the most difficult times of life. Yes, sometimes I will give way to doubt. And because I, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner saved by grace, I will, I will make mistakes as a Christian. I'm far from perfect. And sometimes I will give, it, give way to doubts and fears, but God will not leave me there for long because I'm his child and he will bring me to himself and he will remind me of his loving kindness and compassion towards me. Those who do not build their house upon Christ Jesus do not have all these blessings. They do not have any of these things. They have to go through the storms of life un alone, unattended by the living God. And that is a very fearful thing, friends. But it's not the case for those who have the Lord Jesus Christ as, as their Savior. And when the greatest storm of life comes, that is death, the river of death, well, I need not fear. Oh, friends, I can take you to count the scriptures in the Bible where God is very much with his people and at such a precious event in the eyes of God. Did you know this? Psalm 116, precious is the death of his saints in his sight. When, I, when the light of this world turns out immediately, straight away, I'll be escorted into the presence of Christ. And I will not want, and having been with him even a second in heaven, I will not want to return to earth, even if I was given the option. And this is, this is the testimony of the scriptures. Let me read Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through to 26. This is Jesus responding to, to Martha. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Never die? Well, when the Bible speaks about death, it speaks about death. There are layers, if I can make it more understandable. There's spiritual death. When we're cut off from God and we don't know him, that's spiritual death. There is physical death. And then there is the horrific second death, eternal punishment and hell, banished from God. And this is what Christ is referring to. As soon as the light of this world goes out, I will not taste death. It will be in a split second. I will be ushered into the presence of my precious Savior. And this is the wonderful hope believers have. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Yes, the physical body will die, but in a moment I will be in glory with my Savior forever. So this is the portion of the wise man and it's not the wisdom we have. God is so gracious. He moves our hearts. He helps us to see these things. But this is the portion of those who put their trust in Christ. But now we come to the tragic uh, verses concerning those who don't. In verses 26 through to 27. 
And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The tragedy of building your house upon the sand. What does that mean, preacher? Building your life and your worldview and what you believe about life and everything that makes up your life, building it on anything other than Jesus Christ is building it on sinking sand, is building it on sand, is futile. So what does this mean? Well, in the picture, the foolish man and the people in those days may have been laughing at each other when they heard Christ saying this. Who would do such a thing? Who would be so, who would be so foolish as to build his house upon the, upon the sand? But the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to them, well, this is what you do spiritually. You may not do this with your house, with your physical house, but this is what you do spiritually. You, go, you give no matter. You give no thought to the matters of the, of the soul. And this is what, so the person, in, the foolish person in the picture builds his house, doesn't really care where he builds it. All he's interested in is how it looks, how the house looks and the size of it. All these things just uh, dominate his thinking. He doesn't think about where he should build it or the fact that it needs a foundation. He's just interested in the size and the decoration and the furniture. This is all that this foolish person is interested in. And to modernize the illustration, I'll use the best materials. When I'm done, my house will, be, will look like a, such a wonderful mansion, a beautiful, elaborate architecture, uh, a jacuzzi room. And I, I did say I'd modernize it. Uh, a jacuzzi room, a spa, uh, a gaming room, pool, and all these things. It will be so wonderful. Well, we would call, we would call such a person an absolute fool because they didn't bother building a foundation. They didn't bother digging deep. They had no regard for the location, and they built it on this, this ground which was uneven, on sand. That's a person with such an attitude. Well, they, they, they may be optimistic about the house, but they have a death wish, because that house is not going to stand for long. doesn't matter how wonderful it looks, but what a waste of time. All that time and energy and effort uh, into how the house looks and the decorations and all the bells and whistles and, and the different rooms and, and how these things look. Because as soon as the storm comes, that house will fall. Well, there may be uh, not a major storm, there may be gale force winds and the house begins to crack. The wall, there's cracks in the walls, but when a major storm comes, that house will collapse. It's as good as gone. It doesn't matter how impressive the house looks, how sturdy it looks. If it's not built upon that solid foundation, it will collapse. It's, an, it's inevitable. And this is exactly what happens when people do not put their trust in the Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for us. He is the only hope for this sin-sick world. And he's calling out individuals to put their trust in him. So it doesn't matter, friends. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. The house of your life may still be standing. And... What I mean by this is that other, you, you may be very successful in other areas of your life. You may be a very outgoing and friendly person, and you can make friends so easily. And you have a very busy and social life. You may have a very th thriving career. 
and you're climbing up the corporate ladder and you're making progress in these things and people are, are impressed by you and your um, business acumen and you may have a very impress- impressive education, a track record. You have a master's degree or you're advancing in these areas. You may be very skilled. You may be very talented as a person. God may have given you uh, a lot of gifts in these areas. And many people today, as uh, the world advances in technology and, and medicines and so on, they make the, the massive mistake in thinking, well, we don't need God anymore in this technological age. We don't need God anymore because we've got science and we've, and we've got technology and we've got all these creature comforts. Well, pe- people are, well, it's a massive mistake to think like this because for, for one thing, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. The scientists in the past who discovered these wonderful things and invented these wonderful things are, for the most part, Bible-believing Christians and those who believed in God. Science in, the, in Western culture, which ran way ahead of all the other countries in the West, science gave birth out of a Christian worldview. And that's, that's, his, that's historical fact. But I'm just, I'm, I'm going on a tangent here. But the issue is, this is people's attitude. They think, well, we don't need God anymore. We don't need that antiquated book and those antiquated laws. No, we can, we're fine. Well, look at how people are coping today. Look what's happening today. Look at all the confusion. Look, and we have, we're, we're living in such an affluent culture. And we have far more than we, than uh, the previous generations had. We have so much, so many creature comforts, and yet this is a culture with the most highest suicide rates, the highest oppression, and people's lives being turned, and especially the among, among the young, with this whole gender confusion nonsense. And it's so cruel, it's so vicious. And people who propagate these things, they have, they have no thought whatsoever to, to they're, treat, they're treated like youngsters are treated like guinea pigs in the science lab and they're prodded and they're poked and they're ex- experimented on and it's so callous, it's so cruel it's child abuse and well, this is what happens when we jettison when we reject the living God and his word and Christ society gets turned, you read it in Romans chapter 1 lays it out very clearly what happens, but even on the individual level if I do not build my foundation upon the rock, which is Christ, Christ Jesus, well, I'm putty in Satan's hands because I have my sin to contend with and I cannot win this fight against sin because it's so deceitful and I will drift further and further away from the Lord as life goes on and my sin will make sure of this. My sin even behaves as a separate entity. The Bible describes sin, or sin, by the way, as a, as a person that works against us. Sin is called deceitful. Sin is called a tyrant in Romans chapter 6. And it's called many other things. It behaves, it works against us. And it makes my heart harder and harder and more resistant towards grace the longer I procrastinate. And then there's Satan poisoning my mind. And few people are, many people are just unaware of this. Christ calls Satan in the scriptures the father of lies. And he'll convince me that I don't need the salvation. Yes, go to church. Yes, read the scriptures from time to time, but don't take it personally. Don't be troubled over your sin. That's fanaticism when the preacher says these things. No, don't, don't, don't take any notice of that. You're a good person, and uh, you, you've, you've been a churchgoer for many years. I, I, I know people think like this for a fact, because we do go out uh, giving out tracts in our community, and people always say this. I, don't you know I go to church? 
Don't you know I've, I've been going to church all my life? Don't you know that I'm a good person? And you think, no, no, no. If only you knew that nothing that we do, all our church attendance, all our good works, they amount, they amount to nothing. That's why Christ had to come. We're so wretched. We're so hopeless without, without him. But my heart will grow harder if I, don't re- if I continue to reject this truth that I need Christ. Satan will flood my life. And this is what happens with so many people. Satan will flood my life with so many distractions, with so much trivial things, and I will be distracted to the grave, never giving thought to any of the big issues of life, that the fact that I am going to die soon, and I am going to stand before my maker, I never give any thought towards the meaning and purpose of life, because I'm constantly distracted by the Twitter culture, and all these other things, and all these other entertainment. Nothing wrong with... uh, some things in, in, in this culture are, 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 are legitimate and, and they're good, but so much is a, is a distraction and is, and is spiritually, and is spiritually da- dangerous. But initially, and this is the deceptive thing, initially things seem to go well. When I don't, especially when I'm young and I'm growing up and I leave, I leave my parents and, and life seems to be going well. It's because I haven't gone any. I haven't. My life hasn't gone through any serious storms. It's still fair weather, but then the gale force winds come and the floods. Lots of changes take place in life: disappointment, loss of loved ones, redundancy, and so many things can happen. A partner can walk out. So many things happen in life, and the many pressures and the cares of life, and all these things will start to take their toll. And people take drastic measures without Christ. They turn to drugs, they get very depressed. Well, even Christians can get depressed sometimes, it's true, but, then, but the Lord is with them and he delivers Christians out of their depression and he blesses them and he, he's very much with them and he gives them joy and peace and help in these issues. So even though Christians can go through tribulation, difficulty, God is very much with them and blesses them and even draws himself closer to them through these difficulties and trials. But those without this foundation, without Christ, or their house becomes lopsided. There's cracks and there's holes and there's mildew coming in. I, I may have grown up believing that there is a God, but by the time sin is finished with me, I, I turn agnostic. And I, my heart becomes hardened and I, I even become hostile to the faith. This happens a great, great deal today. My house is un, uninhabitable now. I'm so hardened. You often hear, and people think that, well, they, we, we live in a very materialistic age and we think that, if I have this amount of money or if I accumulate these things, we're deluded into thinking that we can be happy. But I don't know whether you've heard of the, well, this is not too long ago, of this very famous uh, celebrities, this couple, and this one man, this famous actor, he was so rich he has his own island. And then there was this massive court case um, suing each other and so on. And then there's this camera in in. in the, the lady recorded the conversation and you see the anger and the misery and the alcoholism that they, and they had everything and yet they were so miserable and this is what it's like to live without Christ of course there are extremes but not having my guilty conscience dealt with causes me so much unnecessary anxiety and it's, it's, it's so, so, so often it's due to guilt it's due to a guilty conscience that I feel this emptiness, this anxiety in life. It's without, I haven't come to Christ. I can't, when I'm 
about to die, or when I'm going through great tragedy in life, I can't turn to my possessions, I can't turn to my Ferrari, I can't turn to the many things I have and say, help me, I'm depressed, I feel so downcast, I'm so lonely, I feel as though my life has no meaning, no substance, help me, you can't turn your, to your possessions and even to your friends, even your friends can't help you, no, you need the Lord, you need the Saviour, Jesus Christ. But then there's the final storm of life, death. Verse 27, the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew a beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. At death, if I'm a person who has never sought the Saviour, procrastinated, hardened my heart towards the Lord and his compassionate call to my soul lifelong, when I do enter into death, when I do breathe my last, I tell you, friends, your soul will be seized with terror as you realize that you've made the most catastrophic mistake in life by rejecting the Savior. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can construct your life the easy way without building a foundation. Many people think this way. They take, they're very careful in many other issues of life, but concerning spiritual issues, they neglect these things entirely. It's the greatest mistake you'll ever make. I don't need to repent. I don't need to seek the Savior. I don't need to do these things. Friends, it's the greatest mistake you'll ever make. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't delay any longer. If you know, if you know this morning that you are not in Christ, you've never come to him, you've never felt his forgiveness, you've never been changed by him, come to the Savior. Believe that he suffered and died in your place. Cry out to him. Go home and pray to the Lord or in the secret of your heart, call upon him now. And ask for mercy. And if you mean it, he will hear. He will hear you. He will bless you. He will forgive you. Friends, I close with this wonderful hymn. This wonderful hymn writer and his experience. And no doubt your experience as well. If you seek and find the Savior for yourself. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But woefully lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock. I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. <clears throat> Let's sing the last hymn in this service, hymn number 547. Hymn number 547. I bring my sins to thee, the sins
together. Our dear gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee for this foundation for our life, for our souls, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, we do pray that Thou would help us to take heed of these things, to lay to heart our Saviour's precious words. O Lord, hear us in all these things in our Saviour's name and for His sake. Amen.